Welcome back to Chatty Pictures, sponsored by Hang Sandwich. Funny, punny, Irish t-shirts. Quality apparel, fast delivery. You can find them at hangsandwich.com, H-A-N-G, sandwich.com. And I am wearing a Nadine Coyle, named Nadine, aged Gemini, the original Dairy Girl. And who also put on the album cover of uh, Girls Aloud when they had their album cover for the greatest hits. They had two stars with the Union Jack on them and Nadine Coyle refused to promote the album until they put the Irish flag on it. But what did the agents of the British state do? They turned the Irish flag around and they got it wrong on the album cover and to this day they have never fixed it. What, they, they actually put an Ivory Coast flag on? Yes, and not the Irish flag. Yeah, it's hard to do that wrong accidentally. You would, If you did do it accidentally, you'd notice reasonably quickly. Yes. That, say, the... the the flip is murder image or something, you wouldn't notice that immediately if you had any sort of fucking wit about you. Exactly, no wonder she left Girls Aloud and she pursued it and then she sung with Michael Flatley in Lord of the Dance, which I seen her live on a date one night. Michael Flatley is in a film and we are definitely watching it by the way. He's the star of action film. <laughs> nice. Get it on the list um, and why has it not been on the list are. already? Maka, you're on the list. Tell me, Maka, so why am I saying put it on the list? Patrick Bergen is also in this, so... I do have scraps about him, so yes. Ooh, yes. Oh! <laughs> Marcus Gossip Corner, coming soon to you at an episode of Chatting Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, James, now I'm coming to you. Um, this marathon, this marathon show, marathon show. Can you tell me a little bit of the writers and directors of this movie? Uh, so this movie is written by and directed by Neil Jordan, um, who is... Uh, along with Jim Sheridan, and you'll hear this uh, winner. We'll probably save a bit more of this for the Butcher Boy episode because uh, we, we were already quite a, quite a ways through. But he is one of the, the great Irish uh, filmmakers. He's one of the great figures in Irish cinema, along with the, Jim Sheridan. The Steven Spielberg of Irish cinema, if you will. Um, uh, possibly, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, like definitely. He's, he's Him and Jim Sheridan, certainly in the 90s and early 2000s, were the two big hitters in Irish cinema. Yeah. Uh, there have been joined now by a few others, like Lily Abrahamson and, and uh, Paddy Branagh. So they, there is more coming through, but these guys, uh, Dean Jordan especially, uh, is just, you know, um, he's just the, the Babe Ruth of Irish cinema. Like. Yeah. Um, uh, he had written this 15 years before it was made, and he had it in his pocket for when... You know, we never have the resources to actually make a movie. With Mike Oz, was that Michael, someone who wrote this script? Did no, it was, it was Neil Jordan himself. Did Neil Jordan write this script? Yeah. And uh, uh, so he, after he made The Crying Game, which was such a hit, uh, Geffen Pictures said to him, uh, it wasn't Geffen who made The Crying Game, but they said to him, um, what movie would you like to make? And he, he came up with, well, he had the script for Michael Collins. And now he had the profile and the, uh, and the budget to make it. Um, with regards to things like uh, casting Julia Roberts, she was the biggest star in the world at the time. Like this is, I, say, I think this is a real good thing about this film, is that <clears throat> Julia Roberts was the biggest star yeah. in the world at this time. That was coming after My Best Friend's Wedding. She was the, the, the biggest thing yeah. of... Um, and all the other films that she was in, obviously, Aaron Brockovich, was that before no, this? Was well. that, uh, but Pretty Woman. Pretty um, Woman, yeah. 
Yeah, but she was the biggest star in the world at the time. And she, and she, and she chose. Chose to, be on, chose to get onto this project, and uh, he was very happy to have her as far as I could tell. Yeah, it was great marketing to like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like how this, she, was this, a billboard, she was a billboard feature, like you could put her on a billboard in South, uh, South Southern California, and people would recognise, oh, she's in the movie, I want to see what that Yeah, happened. people would go and see it. Like, yeah. I think it was brilliant. It was brilliant to have her, and it was actually brilliant for her to want to be in this movie. Exactly, exactly. Um, his career goes right back to 1980 and his first film was with Stephen Ray and they've worked together quite extensively. Uh, as I said, this is like his reward for hitting so, so big with Interview with a Vampire. It's sort of like uh, Stephen, or I would say Stephen Nolan, Christopher Nolan getting Inception after he made The Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll go more into the research on Neil Jordan when we do The Butcher Boy. Yeah. So because that's another one of his great movies around this sort of time. This was this was his imperial phase. Well, to use to use this <laughs> to use the academic phrase well, for actually, And I actually think the whole Hollywood machine really of this this is really the first Irish Hollywood movie. I would uh, say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like it was definitely for I would say so. And um, I think when he was making this movie, he must have got ideas of how to make the butcher boy. You know? Yeah, probably. Um, he, was, uh, the, he used the same composer. I don't know about the same director of photography, uh, but the same composer as the Buster Boy. Can um, we get into the the composer of this? Um, can we, yes. Can we get uh, into the uh, actual music? Um, who composed the music for this, which I think the soundtrack to this film is brilliant. Like, every every heaven note drops in, in the soundtrack. It just fills, it fills the experience so... Uh, so wholesomely, like it, it, it actually adds to the experience, in exactly. my opinion. It actually doesn't, it shows you how important the importance of music in a film is. It's like it really captures the emotion of what's going on around it. Um, you know, the bit where they're running away, um, they run away from the agents of the British state when Harry Bowles and the catacombs run, and it's the fiddle, uh, is it the fiddle? Uh, that, uh, that's the same, it's the same yeah. tune that they're using over and over for that bit, same and actually, it's yeah. And it's it's real it's a real high pitched fiddle. It's like yeah. it's like it's like you know that there's tension there, but exactly. it actually is so Irish and the melody so Irish. But actually, the way they use it is absolutely amazing. When they break Eamon de Valera out of prison and he's been presented in front of the crowds, and that that melody, like it's such a, it's it's lived with me ever since. Like that melody is always in my head. Like yeah, um, and. It, but it, it wasn't it wasn't just a, a melody that they threw at every scene like because even at the end when the Pathé news footage came in at his funeral there was yeah. a completely different theme yeah. a yeah. completely different motif uh, and that played out to the credits uh, there was like yeah the, the, the score was absolutely brilliant and he is it was beautiful brilliant. the score was absolutely beautiful yeah. like there's some parts in that and I'm like oh. yeah. I could sit and listen to that score I, I would actually love that from watching it now like, I would love to actually buy that soundtrack and just listen to it at home. It's actually yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, totally, yeah. Totally. Look it up on Spotify, people, because just even listen to it on its own. And there's another one, uh, Robin Prince of Thieves, is another one you can listen to on its own. But yeah, so the Elliot Goldenthal is the name of the, uh, the composer he is. He, he was quite uh, famous in Hollywood. I uh, can't remember his credits right now. But uh, <laughs> but he, he has quite uh, quite a lot of big like movie score credits. But this, this is absolutely... Gorgeous, as you say. Yeah. Like even when they, they change to different types of instruments and and there's no there's no one theme tune. Like John Williams just writes a theme melody. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. just throws that in every scene, pretty much. Yeah. Whereas this, everything was new new crea- creations, more creativity. 
the I done a project in uni where I had to write fellow music and it was very, very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. To capture what's going on in the scene with the music. Yeah. And then you're given and I think people don't realise this, is that you're given bits of the movie and you're given bits of the movie. So actually the artist art, artistry of actually He's not seen this final movie. He's just yeah. getting bits and bits and bits and bits. And he's writing yeah. and writing and writing. It's very difficult to write a movie score. It, it, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. And they also have to do it in an incredibly short amount of time. So yeah. they, might, they might have the final cut of the film. And then the, the composer might have three weeks to have a to have a, a, a soundtrack to put on. So they can now present it as a, yeah. a sort of beta project. Like, And they have to turn this around really, really quickly. And yeah, it's fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. And also... Uh, there was like the parts of the films. There's as you said, there's a high pitched fiddle and Irish really good. There was a slow there's a drum or trumpet part. Mm. Yeah. And when Harry Bowen comes back in the boat and everything. Oh, yeah. that was absolutely beautiful yeah. as well. Yeah. There's uh yeah the pipes part. Uh, is that the start when they read the 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 RIC the Royal Irish Conservatory part? There's a, that part in the middle yes, of the night as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, when the turf uh, yeah. saw the turf saw the turf over them to the roof. Um, yeah, I might actually intersect some of the soundtrack into this conversation yeah. actually underneath it underneath it yeah, yeah. put it as a bed yeah um, um, so the copyright uh, things don't catch it yeah <laughs> uh, um, and also our friend uh, Sinead O'Connor has turned mm -hmm. up yeah. and, this, and actually the placement like really the only singing part of this movie was in uh, as you know we don't do spoiler alerts but um, the <laughs> Michael Collins dies, people. Um, <laughs> the the well, only never got off the spacecraft. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the only singing, the singing portion of this movie was the scene where Michael Collins was like uh, getting driven to his death, and he was she was singing. She moved through the fair, which was her voice was spectacular in that. Yeah, and a, and a wonderful arrangement of that, uh, you know, ancient folk tune. Yes. And, uh, uh, I thought I thought she did this with the Chieftains. I was actually mistaken about that, so it's not the Chieftains. So again, I must put this down. It must have been Elliot Goldenthal uh, arranged that. Yeah. Um, she it was actually, beautiful. There is actually another song at the start of the movie where you can hear her vocals. Yeah. Again. Um, but yeah, that, that that like even even the moment that drops, it's like you're because I knew it was coming. Yeah. Like, your hair stand on end, and then. It, it, you can't it, speak because of the actually, open your throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only said in my times that I've cried in movies. Like, this would be one of yeah. the moments that actually, that her voice is so pure in that. Yeah. Um, that the arrangement of the song is so pure in that and actually would make me cry when Michael Collins gets shot. Well, even though, even though he split our country yeah. up. Well, I, uh, I was watching it with Susan and uh, as soon as that started, the part where she started singing, she just said, she just turned to me and goes like, that's death music. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cry of the old banshee. <laughs> so it's like she, as soon as he started singing, he was like, oh, he's going to be there here. <laughs> <laughs> was she not aware of the history of it? No, not really. No. Could she hear the banshee? Does she have a name? She does, yes, yeah, true. She does she have a name? A mech name? Uh-huh, uh-huh. We can thank Walt Disney for that. And then maybe someday when we find the last episode of Dario Gilden and the Little People, where you can hear James's... Uh, Tales of Woe Against the Fairy Folk of Fintana, um, it will come up as a special episode. <laughs> and the other, the other person I want to bring up was the director of photography, which is Chris Menges. I'm not sure if you're that right. I think he, he was probably Hollywood, I would suggest, because this film is a visual feast. There's a scene on now where Harry Boland is running away from the, um, 
from the Irish Free State Army. Where the fe- the fiddle's going. Yeah, but look at the lighting. Look at the look at the screen. Uh, look, look at the way the screen compositions are. Every scene in this was an absolute. It was every frame of painting is the name of a YouTube channel. Every frame in this was a painting. Like you yeah. know, even when they were meeting uh, and the trains were over the top of them, and the open scene at the nineteen sixteen, and you know the Battle of Four Courts, and you know. Uh, even even the even the, the first Doyle meetings. Like, yeah, that was brilliant. It, it was so like, you could. It, it was it wasn't quite you know a James Bond enemy, and it wasn't quite you know out of place. It obviously had to be secret. So whatever venue they find to place that film, place that scene, was just perfect. Like every every visual choice they made in this movie was absolutely perfect. Like the Bloody Sunday Massacre. Uh, I think it was the Brandywell Stadium in Dublin as an Irish League team. It might have been Daly Park. It was one of the Irish League teams. Uh, are they used for it? Actually, the Brandywell's really, it's clicking in my mind that that might have been it, yeah. Brandywell would have been then. But like, every picture, every like when they when the British stormed them after the, the field revolt, the second revolt, that they, that, uh, the Custom House one, like, even just when the boy goes back for the guns, yeah. And you see him run away, and you know the, it, it's such it's such an achievement in visual storytelling. Like er, there's there's never a moment where you feel like you can't follow what's happening. Yeah. And they like when the black and tans shoot the buildings, and they throw a they throw a petrol bomb into the truck. I love that scene. What a, a, a brilliant scene! A brilliant that's, that is brilliant stunt work. Yeah. People are on fire and pretending they didn't realize they're on fire until they're on fire and jumping out of the truck. Yeah. Like, so send Kevin. Where Kevin Spacey, where are you? Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I, I forgot to say that I forgot. Kevin Spacey here. Kevin Spacey. Hold on, man. I need to introduce Kevin Spacey. So, um, so now from the uh, former owner of the Old Vic Theatre, uh, we've got a special guest on the podcast, Kevin Spacey. Hey, St. Kevin, how are you? <laughs> you? You say I'm owner, Marty, I was never owner. I was just managing the place while I had my way. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> um, Kevin, this was a lovely watch that you gave me, so now it's time. I can read on the watch that you gave me. What time is it? It's one o'clock! <laughs> so I can read in this watch that you gave me that uh, it is time for you to... What did you think about it's this a, movie, Kevin? I remember watch there, that's about... $500, I can get another one tomorrow, but that's a $500 watch, you should be very proud of yourself, yeah. Uh, I shall read out what, uh, what uh, the Time Out Film Guide 2002 uh, has said about Michael Collins. Writer-director Jordan's film, tracing the career of Irish Republican hero Michael Collins from the Easter Rising to his death in 1922, depicts a man whose belief in violence is finally transformed, transformed by the horrors of civil war into a desire for peace. It's a dense, stirring tale with Collins, under threat from the both the English and the Patriots. Is Ned Roy a spy or an ally working from within Dublin Castle? Uh, pretty sure he's an ally. Yeah, it was pretty well, obvious. Well, he's an ally. Yeah, exactly. How serious is his split with Eamon Dublin, who prefers to fight on for a Republican Republic than settle temporarily for a free state brokered by Collins? This is Jordan's most ambitious and satisfying movie, a thriller with a real sense of skill, pace, menace and moral import. With the exception of Rickman's awesomely mannered De Valera, the performances are top-notch. Even Roberts makes a decent stab at the romantic interest in turning the ideological fallout between Collins and Boland. Yeah, they're saying, De- they're saying Andrew yeah. was bad, yeah. which is 
which I do not agree with at all. Actually, the, the, he's, a bit, he's a bit over the top at some days, but it's, it's no. But I right. think it's brilliant because it's at the, the end of the, yeah, but at the end of the day, like the whole like narrative was that well, the whole what I felt the whole narrative is of this movie is that Eamon uh, Devler killed Michael Collins, but uh, <laughs> but what I actually think about this is that um, actually. He was supposed to be that nemesis yeah, yeah. to Michael Collins, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was the one putting the people at risk. Like, they do say that Michael Collins, he's a romantic character. And he was right. That was right. Michael Collins is a romantic character. And at the end of the movie, they have the quote. They have the quote. said that Michael Collins will be fondly remembered in history. However, he will be regarded as the, the evil person. Um, yet he still became president. Twice. Home rule is Rome rule. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there, is, there does need to be a biopic of Devil Era because his impact on this country is... Like, Disgusting. Mostly, yeah, and, and, and mostly bad, yeah. Yeah. Um, but to continue here, uh, while Chris Mingus' camera work and Anthony Pratt's designs perfectly evoke a country falling apart with no one, it seems, able to halt the tragedy. Disagree with many of that. Uh, I disagree with most of that. There, it appears that he's misinterpreted the plot completely, but he does acknowledge this: the cinematography and the performances of part of Mel Ring. I actually, I actually think that the performances from all of the characters were yeah. absolutely yeah. excellent, including Julia Roberts. I think she did a really yeah. good job of that. Yeah. Um, I think that the that uh, the music was brilliant, which they didn't mention the music there. But um, what else did he mention there? Well, he said cinematography and the. Uh, and Anthony Press designs so the set work so yeah. the, the locations and whatnot. Uh, so the set works were brilliant even they're not there there's like frame on at the minute where you're sitting at a bar and you can see the lower edge of the bar like some like old drinks and all that and it looks absolutely brilliant yeah yeah the yeah. scenes are brilliant they the, the the plots the one thing I do agree with this and I thought this in the in, on the way up the road was I think the pacing of this movie is like excellent like yeah. there's not there's one. Are we, are we, can we talk about that now? Right? Yeah, yeah like, I see when you say my the hour. See at the start, what you obviously get the opening scene and it goes for like with this hard line of bed at the start, but then it goes into it right after Easter Rising and it's kinda of like you see them getting picked out, that's alright, kinda of it's like ordinary. See, once it once it shows you haven't come out of jail, it is flying, it is mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. And it shows you doing the speeches and all so you're going everywhere. And it's like the first, I don't know, the first 20 or 30 minutes of the film is flying at a pace that's unbelievable. It is, and, and actually, but it's, it's, not it's, messing really out, it's not messing out anything. It's you know, like it just is. like flying through the movie. And actually, when you get to the halfway point of the movie where he actually gets the free state, you yeah. know, and that's halfway through the movie. And then it kind of, the pace changes a little bit into the, the later portion of the movie. Even the scene on TV now is when they're running down to shoot him. Like it's, it's yeah, it kind of speeds up again. Yeah, it speeds it's up kinda, again. It's kind of like it slows down for she moves through the fair. It, it slows down when he's getting bogged down by the politics and stuff. Yeah. Whereas he's really good at doing all the stuff that he's meant yeah. to be good at doing. Like he's going and he's organizing stuff. He's going and he's fighting it, and then parts are off fast. Then it slows down when he's even like in scenes when he's like there's a longer scene when he's in with Devil Air in the office. And there's hardly anything being said. That kind of slows down the scene. Anytime he's doing anything about politics and all, it slows down. But he missed himself, he wasn't good at that. No, he kind of gets bogged down. But he wasn't supposed to be that, no, you know? No. Yeah, and it kind of shows you that in the film. It's really good. Right. It's supposed to be a matter of general chaos. So when he comes, when he gets out of the uh, of sneaking into the castle to see the fires, he's like, right, uh, I need you to get 12 men uh, from the Dublin Division. 
For fucking Christ and his twelve apostles, just fucking do it, would you? Uh, you know, and then we get the news that the boy's been riddled. Riddled! Riddled! What are you doing? Riddling people? Like, it's, everything is just so. Say, like, he, he's operating at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, as you said, the first two thirds of the movie, like, it, 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 it touches upon so many touch points. Of the War of Independence. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't degrade from the story of it. No, exactly. Like when you're watching it, if you're a foreign audience, for example, like okay, you you would it. really be like going, Oh my god, did all this happen? And then only an hour's passed in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. actually, you know, the quiet the quiet man was two hours and nine minutes and I felt like a chore by the end of the movie. This movie was going at such a pace that two hours fifty minutes passed in an instant. Every scene feels epic and uh, iconic almost you know you, when I was watching it today, I was like, yeah, so I know every line of the scene, I know every camera work. So if you were making a trailer of this movie, like, you know, it must have been a nightmare for people yeah, to make, because, yeah. like, what would you pick? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we'll have to bet this on screen now. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Michael Collins has just been shot while Kitty... Kitty Kiernan. Kitty Kiernan's trying on her wedding dress. And she moved to the fair. Moving here, moving yeah, there. but see, this is this is also like Sinead O'Connor's voice is so pure in that moment, and it slowed down where she was like, oh, like this is this is why the I think the oil cinematography this thing is amazing. And the the scene where it's actually Michael Collins' dead body with Ian Hart like now he realizes he's dead, and it's like he's he's presenting well number one is his friend is dead, his leader is the real leader of the Irish movement. Imagine discovering that this is my culture is trying to negotiate a peace treaty to stop a fucking civil war continuing is now dead. Imagine that fucking panic yeah. in your head where it's like, fuck's sake, Michael Collins is now dead, the leader, the man who won the recent war. Man, I don't want no war! <laughs> but it, well, did he want the war? going to stop this fucking thing breaking out, like, do you know what I mean? Imagine, yeah. And the, the, what Ian Hart's performance there was fucking like. Epic, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Oh, Jesus. This film is brilliant. It, it is brilliant. Do you know what? And, you know, through the detractors of uh, Julia Roberts here, the scene where actually she finds out, which yeah. is on TV now, of Michael Collins' death, she doesn't overplay it. She yeah. actually plays it really subtly. And she's actually now going down the stairs, like hunched over, you yeah. know. And she said that I'm going to see you, Gray. And he was like, oh, I'm a, from, come from a family of baldies. And you know what? And then now she finds out that he is dead because... After all he'd done, she could not believe that that man would die. And he did die. So, And she played this part spectacularly as well. Well, the world must know we're invincible. Like, he, he realised that. Like, he, yeah. It, yeah, he lies to you, like Devil Air says, oh, I wouldn't go for another one. Because he doesn't day. trust Devil Air. Yeah. Well, he had, he had to make sure Devil Air had the mindset. He thought Devil Air was going to go over there to negotiate the treaty. Yeah. yeah. And he wanted to put in his head that... Uh, they were invincible. Yeah, exactly. So he had to make Devil Air believe that. Uh, and then Devon Earth would check it out because he knew he wasn't going to be able to yeah. um, But actually, Neil Jordan has, uh, seems to have a thing against Bogman. <laughs> because in this movie, <laughs> he calls yeah. Michael Collins the Bogman. The Bogman, yeah. The Bogman, yeah. He's a gobshade from West Cork. Yeah. But yeah. was Michael Collins, was he, was he very well educated? Does anyone know? He seems to be an educated man. Well, this, this movie sets up the fact that he was... As we talked about in the last podcast, actually, was that um, the most annoying thing is English people think Irish people are stupid. Yeah. It's like the stupid Paddy. It's like the Paddy Irish jokes, you know? Yeah. They're, they're absolutely, absolutely disgusting racist jokes that the English people tell all the time. Paddy's stupid, man, you know? But... So what we do is just laugh it off and I swear them the next school right? Yeah, yeah I know. That is true. It's actually very good because I was wondering, every time I watch this film, I always wonder myself, 
Michael Collins is meant to be like a very it's a romantic figure and he's charismatic and all here. How much the charisma that he has in this film is like written on the page or how much did like uh, Liam Neeson bring to it? But there's so many scenes where he's like even the breakout of Lincoln Jail when he's sitting beside uh, Hammond and he's taking the piss out of him and dresses yeah. this woman and all it's like yeah. I'll take you home and all here. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just so Or when he's singing Skibbereen. Or when he uh, the fly comes out and he turns over to like yeah. the general guy and goes, When did I get the hat? Well <laughs> see that that would have been Neil Jordan showing uh, how stupid pomp and ceremony of Empire is. Like it's all to do with fucking taking a flag and getting it down from the flagpole and putting the other one up so they can you know, declare that you know, literally computer game fucking modes. Or just about capturing the flag, so you can put your flag up instead of. But then, why why are the Irish people not happy to be living under, like living in a united country underneath a British flag? It's not the flag that's the problem. I, I genuinely, I genuinely think nobody would give a fuck about the flag or the anthem if you know it was just a more just and egalitarian society. I don't think many people would give a fuck if it was more just and egalitarian society. People would have bought in long before the famine had, had to happen. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if. Nobody really gives a fuck they're paying taxes. No, because you're paying taxes, you're paying taxes. Exactly, and all you want is a fucking say in how they're fucking spent. And yeah. you don't get that in a fucking empire. Like the, it all goes to the Queen, uh, and the Queen's ministers decide how it's spent. Yeah, and, and let me tell you, it's not spent in the West, Tyrone, anyway. No, exactly. <laughs> it's well, not spent. That's what the it's not. G party was about. It was yeah. like no taxation without representation. You know, that's what it came to boil out to. Now, they replaced the British Empire with their own empire, Washington Empire. Like, yeah. And just fucking manifest destiny their whole way across. The well, interestingly, one of the reasons why that broke out so bad is because the British taxed so much in the United States of America, the original 13 colonies. They taxed paper, which means um, stamps were taxed at a massively high rate. And do you know what the British Empire done? They didn't give a shit about them colonies because they were making so much money from Jamaica. So most of their army were actually in Jamaica. They uh, let America go. And the, the Americans, uh, the, the United States of Americans, they might turn around and say, well, we beat the British. Well, actually, the British didn't give a shit about you. No, but let me tell you this. They gave a shit about Ireland. They gave a shit about Dublin. They still, after partition, gave a massive shit about Belfast. Not because they wanted to the, the keep the, the Unionist Protestant people. They didn't want to keep them. They wanted that shipyard, and they were not yeah. giving that shipyard up. The linen and the tobacco. Yes, the yes. Yeah. And then the reason then why when they split the country, Tyrone was supposed to be an um, Irish yeah, free they state. Had, they had three, there was three options. There was the four counties, six counties, or nine counties. Yeah. And they fought for the nine counties, the Monaghan and Cavan and Donegal on it. There was too many Fenians. Too many Fenians, yeah. And then they fought the four counties. It was too small to survive. small to survive. Yeah. So they gave them the six. Yeah. And even, then, even though they knew that the throne, especially. Uh, yeah. The spire on the hills of throne for Manor is something that gave Churchill great fixation. The spires on the hills of throne for Manor is one of his quotes. Um, but then again, like imagine having the four counties, right? What would you feel? How would you fucking look? Derry and Armagh people in the eye. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you are just fucking leaving them. They definitely wouldn't have survived it. it well, I don't think it would have survived. However, um, and not only saying that, is then well, we have been the people that say to me, what part of Donegal are you from? So would I turn around to someone from Derry and say, what part of Toronto are you from? You'd hope not. No, well, I wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> but this is the same, like, 
if we were in their their situation. And like I've been in Dublin now for quite a long time, and the amount of people that say to me, I know a lot of people who wouldn't vote for United Ireland, and I'm like, God, you disgust yeah, me. Yeah, that's because they're from the people. That, that is true. That is true. Second city empire. You say it wouldn't have survived. Um, at the time of partition, Belfast's uh, economic output was no, like three, three times yeah. greater than Dublin's. Like yeah, it was, it was. Belfast this is why they wanted to keep Belfast, because yeah. Belfast actually was making so much more money for the British yeah. Empire than Dublin ever has. Du- yeah. Dublin, Dublin was the nice painting, and Belfast was the, you know... The economic powerhouse? Yeah, the Igor in the corner. Who was same same thing with Glasgow, same thing with Glasgow. Yeah. Glasgow was like, you know, they're using the, the they're like draining the, the, the Celtic thing. And like, this is what the British government does now. They, they don't want to have, they want to downtrod these places they want to make these places poor and so then they can actually claim this is the new strategy of the British Empire since they're giving them money yeah yeah, the the subvention but the British Treasury doesn't never has never never came out and said how much taxes is collected from the occupied six counties how much taxes Mm. Uh, there's another thing I didn't actually touch on like the 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 importance in empires of records was fully um represented in this or realised in this movie you know the, the first half of the movie the big thing was getting to see the files like yeah. he was getting to see the files and then when Charles Dance came in first thing he did get everyone onto those files we need to know everything about this right now yeah the one thing the British Empire did probably better than any other empire ever was their record keeping their yeah. record keeping is fucking exhaustive but this is actually this was referenced twice in the movie that Michael Collins said that they say oh they know we had for breakfast and yeah. then he turned around, he actually turned around and said, yeah, no, no, I was like, he turned around and says, well, well, let's find out what they're having for breakfast. And then after the comedic scene, then when they were stuck with the sheep and everything, he walks up to it going, what did you have for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know. But that, that's, that's, that's exactly what I mean. Like, they, like, do you know the Marie Celeste shit? The um, one where everyone went missing? Do you know why that story is so famous? It's because it was, it was a ghost ship that had been abandoned. Like, the raft had been cut off. Like, we had been cut off in the 26th round. <laughs> uh, but the, the boat was fine line drifting the sea and somebody had to tow it in and when they tow it in they have to get the cargo uh, manifested and they have to find out who owns it so that ship was sitting in Gibraltar at a maritime court for about two years and every detail of that ship is now a public record because their record keeping is so exhaustively good yeah like that's that was the strength of their empire that no other empire had done before and that's why, and the Americans learned to us. So after, you know, 1776, the first thing they started doing was making their own academic papers, like the Federalist. And then it, it goes forward. So in the 1960s, there's publications like Rolling Stone and the, the Vietnam War reporters. Like they, they, they realized as a, as a populace how important it is to get everything down in a public record. Uh, because all Ireland has is oral history and oral tradition and then native so, americans as well and, and the native americans and like the the you know the pre-colonial indians and africans and, yeah and the first thing empires do whenever they cover places and this has happened in scotland uh is they go and they fucking destroy the records yeah and that was actually one thing that mike collins did at one point which wasn't represented in movies he destroyed all the records of dublin castle like he, he made a point of doing that uh, probably because it was so fucking burned by what they what they had actually collected on. You would actually the interesting thing that I heard in uh, history class from a history teacher who was a partner intern. They probably would have won 
if they actually, they're actually Dublin Castle was actually really unmanned during the time of the Easter Rising, and if they stormed instead of going to the GPO, they took Dublin Castle, they would have got their independence. Well, they certainly would have got all that intelligence. Yes, which would have made a lot more. Yes, lot and actually, he was he was a real supporter of Michael Collins. No, well, he, I, I agree. I, I he agree. actually does believe that Michael Collins. When he, when, and it was in this movie, it was a stepping stone. Like, I think Michael Collins was probably scarred by the years of war that he went through, the things that he had to order people to do. Yeah. And I actually, think, I think he was pragmatic as well because he obviously, because he, he knew, he didn't want to kill Irish. He didn't want to kill everyone. He didn't want to kill everyone. Yeah. Sure, he said that in the film. It's like, he hits them for making them do the yeah. things that he has to do. There's no way out. That's, yeah. what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If, we, if we game plan this next resurgence situation, the people of Scotland have to ask an empire for permission to see if they want to have their own stand up on their own two feet. And if the empire refuses, what is their choice? Just wait. Well, their choice, their choice now is not to pick up a gun because once you pick up a gun, this is one of the reasons why that the IRA can't exist anymore because once you pick up a gun, you're a terrorist. One of the great lines of that song, uh, the Joe McDonald song, and I love that song. It's like, and you dare to call me a terrorist while you stare down your gun. Well, that massacre at Crow Park, how is that different from the Bataclan? Yeah. You know, in, in terms of people went there to have a, a good time just and have socialising, and then a fucking gunman came in with the express intent of killing as many of them as possible. Where is the difference? How is that not a terrorist defence? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a, that, that is not a terrorist defence. The Ariana Grande. Uh, concert and and uh, that's a terrorist defense. Yeah, yeah. Because because the people who committed the atrocity were wearing a uniform of the fucking monarch. Yeah, that's the only difference. And actually, this fellow actually says like even De Valera obviously was like, oh no, we need to fight a legitimate force and we need to wear a uniform and blah blah. Everyone blah. must murder us. Yeah, war is murder. Sheer fucking bloody murder. Yeah, yeah. war yeah. is murder. War is the, the whole point of war is to send the poor people out to the front yeah. lines. And was there was there a scene in this movie about the song? There was they said There's something a, about a quick um, a quick line about it, which I never picked up on before. Um, but he did say, yeah. I really picked I really picked up on that line. Is like the Irish are cadden fodder for the forms for the song. Yeah. You know, it's like you know the South Park episode, the South Park movie yeah. where they actually tape the black people to the tanks. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah and this is this is exactly what it is. And in Braveheart, where he goes, uh, uh, stop stop firing the arrows. They're too expensive. Fire the Irish, they cost nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the way the empire thinks. Like, because of the status of your birth, you are less of a human, you are the other. No then, blacks, no dogs, no Irish, Macca. Yeah. Then, if you just happen to be unfortunate enough to be, you know, a normal, uh, loving and expressive person born within the pyramidic structure of the empire, so you might be a member of a church, you know, you go to a very conservative school or something, the, the stress that puts on your mental health when you have to deny her and repress your own personage because you you have to fit into what this idea of the you know the ubermensch as it was in the nazi empire yeah. or you know the the upper class stiff upper lip yeah but don't ta- don't talk to me about going to uh, an institution i went to christian brothers uh, or the uh, vatican yeah yeah the vatican i went to christian yeah. brothers uh, yeah, exactly, a only yeah. male school as a gay person exactly yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. this is and thankfully now things are changing and actually, I think with everything, people's uh, everything's changing. Like now, we got the Black Lives Matter protests, which I think are absolutely amazing. It's, yeah. You know, things are changing now, so that the world is changing up. My only issue with all that, with the Black Lives Matter, with with you know gay marriage and everything, is that they're not refusing 
They, they are they are asking, asking for permission yeah. to be recognised in the paramedic structure. Yeah. I tell that's what frustrates me so much. But you have to, you have to ask because you're never going to get it. And one of the one you of the, my I biggest. They've given you no other way out except the fucking yeah. the weapon. Like and that. actually, what did they say? That your refusal. Yeah. Gay people were getting married all the time. And actually, what I found, and um, everyone was like raving about. Ireland was the first country in the world to legalise gay marriage by popular vote and I was at Eurovision at the time in Vienna and everyone was going oh this is brilliant like it was in gay bars there and they are going this is brilliant everyone in the Eurovision was clapping away going that this is brilliant and I turned around to people and said why why is the majority voting on the rights of a minority I think that's wrong I don't think the majority I don't think the majority of people should be voting on for rights for a minority that should be legislated on uh I disagree. Hard disagree on that. Why? Uh, because it shows that why, the why people. Would, of, why would the minority vote in the majority? Right? No, no, no. Okay. No, okay. Uh, no, let's break this down. Let's break this down a little bit. So Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat. Yeah. In the bus. So we're going to turn around then and say, you know what? Maybe we should let Rosa Parks sit in her seat. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to give the countrywide vote. To say whether Rosa Parks needs to give up her seat. Yeah, but Ireland's got has to go to a referendum yeah, for the constitution. Yeah, exactly. That, that, there is a distinction there that Ireland had to put that well, because, yes. because Eamon de Valera uh, instilled the fucking Catholic Church into the constitution. And it's, it's that scene too where they had they had the vote in the parliament, the first vote for the free state. And, and he, he was like, no, to it's, it. it's going to a uh, referendum. Well, yeah, so then it went to a referendum and then refused to recognise the referendum yeah, and it still went to a fucking war, so it was all a fucking... <laughs> but then who, <laughs> what, who was in the referendum? Was the people in the North in the referendum? No, it wasn't no, the 26. Yes. Well, there you go, exactly. This is exactly what the well, problem there, is. If it hadn't been a 32 county, they might not have passed the referendum treaty. I think they still would have passed, but... And actually, may, uh, would it have been a bad thing if it didn't pass? It would have meant that the Michael Collins and his, and his group and his 12 apostles and the IRB and everyone else would have had to necessarily start to move a territorial war, which would have meant they would all start having to aggressively move into Northern Ireland, as is now known. Uh, and they would have had to start, like, literally fucking going to places like Craig Allen, Port of the Line, and just shooting all around them. And, yeah, that's true, actually. Uh, it would have had to be that aggressive, because they leave us no way out. Yeah, but yes, yes, yes. What did the Irish government do when there was an apartheid state? What did the Irish government do after Bloody Sunday? What, RTA played rebel music? Well, thanks, thanks, thanks fuck for that, RTA. You know, what did they do when their, their, their Irish citizens were being killed? They done yeah. absolutely nothing about it. And, they, and the world was outraged. And what did this romantic, amazing country that fought off the British Empire do? They literally let its own citizens die. They let its own citizens be downtrodden. They done nothing about it. Well, see, my, my issue is that they'll, they'll get to an impasse where... Boris will not let them have a referendum. So at that point, what is their options? To hold their own illegitimate yes. votes, a referendum, or just to totally, as, an, as, a, as a parliament, start ignoring and refusing the British Empire. But in a Skype call this week, uh, Boris Johnson said that uh, devolution was the worst thing that ever happened. Worst happened to happen for them? Or yes, it? happened for him. From, from an imperialist point of view, that's entirely accurate. Yeah. And that's why he won't deny it, because he, he, he doesn't have to deny it. Like, uh, but what I wanted to say was one of the the, the titles at the start, uh, when they're showing the sort of the factual information, uh, one of the phrases was, at the turn of the century, at the turn of the 20th century, Britain was the foremost world power. 
See, within 10 or 15 years, Ireland and or New Ireland will have overtaken its influence on the world stage. Yeah. I guarantee you. Yeah. Uh, because they've, they've just, they've just like, took their own rug from underneath themselves by Brexit. Yeah. Uh, they tried to get on side with, with Trump and he's not no longer a uh, going, well, uh, he may start a coup. <laughs> uh, he, as of this moment, he is, doesn't look like he's going to be a going concern going into 2021. Nah, I okay. um, You know, their only mark, their only sort of big trading partners now are the Commonwealth countries, of which Canada and Australia are the only ones with any real money yeah. they can actually trade with. And apart from that, they're going to trade in World Trade Organization. And yet, and yet, what does the British monarchy do? Oh, we're going to Africa. Well, see, they can't because China is... They own Africa? Africa now? Well, they don't, they don't own it. Well, they, they do. In the, in the, imperial, in the <laughs> imperial point of way. But what they're doing is investing in infrastructure so that African, you know, municipalities are starting to think, okay, these guys are actually, you know, they're actually bringing money in. They're actually raising our quality yeah. of life and instead not, of just digging holes and stealing all our resources. And they're not asking for the reparations that, like... Africa still play, paying England money back from uh, when they were when they were being run by England. Uh, for uh, yeah, and what I find disgusting is that the taxes that I was paying when I was working in Pound Stretcher, making a minimum wage job in Pound Stretcher in Oma, my taxes were going towards these slave owners. Yeah. Like that is absolutely disgusting. Yet we're living in a country which had an apartheid state. We're living in a country where we don't get our representation. Mm-hmm. So how is that even fair? It's not fair. The uprising as well, the 1916 uprising, that would have been an almost monthly uh, occurrence across the entire British Empire at yeah. that time. Uh, maybe not in those years because World War One was actually taking place. But, you know, the, the, the Boers would have been rising up. Obviously, the United States had already, you know, got rid of them, but then they had a war with the United States. India, the Amistrar uh, massacres, like the Indians were turning turning down salt back in the sea because it's like, what the fuck are we giving them Indian salt for? Yeah. We'll stop doing this. So what the British Empire decided to do uh, was just mow them down with heavy artillery. And I actually was watching a really interesting like uh, debate on the BBC, the mouthpiece, the, of, machine. the mouthpiece of the British Empire. An Indian man was from London was sitting there saying, oh, well, they gave us the railway, railways, they give us universities and education. Yet, the Indian man sitting on the panel turned around and said that India had 23% of the world's GDP mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. had, their their level of literacy went down from 70% to 6%, <laughs> all while the Britain was overall in this country, giving them a few railways. Yeah. I you know? Yeah. So, this is what the British Empire does to its subjugate countries. Yeah. And yet we are still living in one of these subjugate countries. So, railways generally were one of the great achievements of the empire and also the postal services. But then why is France's railways better? Well, uh, what they started... For some reason, they got ashamed of these achievements. You know, the genuinely... The genuine achievements that you could actually point to and say, 
this is you bettering a society. Yeah, we like can get you from one place to another. Yeah, it's like the way they always say, oh, the Romans, oh, they done roads. Uh, yeah, all the roads. Yeah. Well, England did do the railways. They did do the railways, yeah. and then as soon as, as soon as they could, they started stripping them back. Everyone needed Ireland on that, like the railways now. Ireland was, under, was under, under British rule at that time. Like, and the, the, mm-hmm. the railways stayed away from Oma and uh, Newton. Newton and Bundoran was all because of the Protestant state in Belfast. Uh, but also the the postal service like that the idea of a postal service is fucking incredible. Yeah. If you think I can postcodes, incredible. What well, no the, the idea? Imagine imagine thinking like three hundred years ago, I can pay twenty five p to get a message from you from he, me here in Drumquin to you over in say Middlesbrough say, and you could reasonably expect it. Well, say in the nineteen tens, you could reasonably expect that to arrive within two days for like yeah. you know, the price of a banana or an apple or something. That is an incredible fucking achievement of yeah. civic, uh, civic enterprise, like. And what do they do? They get fucking embarrassed by it, so they sell off the railways and they sell off the postal services, and they maintain the fucking military. Actually, what Margaret? What 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 did what did Margaret Thatcher do? Margaret Thatcher said, "Ah, uh, no, I'm going to sell off the postal service. The postal service owned British Telecom, and there's another, another amazing achievement. Yeah, another great infrastructure. So what did they do? They split it up and allowed competition in." Well, they, they got, got their friends to have ownership rights of the intellectual property. So they, they couldn't, there's no land for them to colonise anymore, so they colonised the ideas in your head. Yes, you said about how Cliff Richards is worse than Cromwell. He's worse than Cromwell. <laughs> 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 uh, and who, who else is a fucking big uh, copyright fucking jerk? Like Mike, Michael Jackson owned all the Beatles back catalogue and Paul McCartney hit them for it. And actually, what, would, what happened this week was Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's one, yeah. Um, that, uh, it's it's sold off. Say it's sold off to a venture capitalist company. I don't necessarily disagree with that because for her to be in that situation now, to her to be that person, she had to get the money from somewhere. So they had to pay her. And what? Would she just not pay for the, Would she not pay the price? Well, or is this the problem with capitalism? Or what is the, what is is the issue there? The idea is the intellectual property recorded on those master's records, right? Uh, so on the master. By the way, like fucking shitloads of them have been lost in a fire in Universal Studios over two years ago, including Guns N' Roses and Nirvana, and probably like I think Elton John and like major major artists have lost their original recording. Yeah. The original recording is considered a piece of intellectual property. So even if she recorded it exactly the same the next day, like not even not like so we can rule out chase her voice or anything. If the next day she recorded the exact same thing on a different record to make a new master, the intellectual property of that original one is still in existence. So she cannot release her own music. Yeah, but the, there's a thing There's a thing now where she's actually going to be recording her own music. Mm. And fair play to her. Uh, that's, a good way of, that's a good way of fighting back. Because she fought, happened, she fought back against Apple. Uh, when Spotify, App- she, she, she refused to go on Spotify. She-, she refused to go on Spotify, but also she took down Apple and she took down Apple with her fandom. And Did she really? Apple still exists, weren't it? No, no, but what I'm saying <laughs> is, what I'm saying is that she, the, she artist, just- the artist, when Apple Music brought out Apple Music, they were not paying the artist properly until she kicked up such a fuss about it and didn't allow her music on it that Apple buckled and actually increased the amount of money that went to artists. Uh, you talking about iTunes MP3? No, the actual Apple Music, the, the streaming, okay, streaming right. of their music. I was going to say the MP3s were ninety nine p a piece, and I thought the artists got reasonably good. Nah, yeah, so, it, it was the streaming because obviously no one downloads music anywhere. Yeah, exactly. 
I thought you were referring to the fact that um, Taylor Swift had Steve Jobs killed, but maybe that's just... Just like Eamon Devalera, Eamon Devalera had Michael oh, yeah. Collins killed. Yeah. So let's, oh, yeah, get, yeah, yeah. let's get back into the movie here. thanks for listening to part two of michael collins join us next time where we will have part three who knows what's going to happen to michael collins will he go to tyrone will he go to cork will he survive will the british empire gun him down will he get stabbed in the back by the wee wizardy boys teacher who knows find out next time on chatting pictures